Okay, Thanksgiving's over. It was over last Sunday, and and what I love, I love Thanksgiving for one. It's a great holiday, and I love spending time with family. But um, the thing I don't like about it is everyone before Thanksgiving is yelling at me not to have my tree up, and I always have my tree up. Um, but after Thanksgiving, it's like too bad. Christmas time is here. Everybody can gets to stop whining about it. Um, and so some of us have been in the Christmas spirit for a while. Some of you are just joining us. And let me just say welcome to those of you who show up late. Um, I love this time of year. I love the Christmas lights. I love the decorations. Uh, I love that music is playing absolutely everywhere you can go. Um, I love how excited kids are. If you you know you can as a parent, it can be a little frustrating because like in before. Halloween, my kids had Christmas lists going, um, but if you really let it be, it can be contagious, you know? Um, and I get that there are people who see things differently than me, who see this time of year very, very differently than me. Um, whereas I see the most t- wonderful time of the year, some of you see a time where there's way too many obligations and where the Christmas music is trying to drill a hole in your brain by coming out of every speaker and ruining your sanity. Um, I see hustle and bustle, like the song, you know, little hustle, hustle, bustle. Some of you just see absolute chaos and rude people clogging up the lines at every store. Um, I see the possibility of a white Christmas as potentially the most amazing thing that could ever happen. Some of you see snow as coming from the devil, and you curse its very presence in the forecast, even when it's at like 10%. But starting today, we're going to be in this Christmas series where we're talking about the original Christmas carols. Uh, Because again, some of you need help getting into the Christmas spirit, and if there's one thing I've learned from watching all the Christmas movies over the years, it's how to answer the question, what's the best way to spread Christmas cheer? Yeah, some of you knew that by singing loud for all to hear. Some of you were like, why did everybody know this? And that's okay. if, So if you didn't know the answer to this question automatically, do yourself a favor and watch Elf sometime. It's really a, a solid Christmas movie. Um, but what we're going to be doing for the next few weeks is we're going to be looking at songs that appear in the Christmas story. And you might think, I didn't know there were songs in the Christmas story, right? Because we're all familiar with the Christmas story. Even if you're not a Christmas person, you know about Mary and Joseph and angels. You know about gold and frankincense and myrrh. Uh, you know about the star. And most importantly, you know about sweet little eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus. We're all excited about all those things. We know about all those things. You probably have a, a nativity set somewhere in your house that has those or a picture of that. But what you might not be familiar with is that there are four songs scattered through the Christmas story. And they are these beautiful songs that just kind of seemingly pop up in the middle of the story. Um, One thing about my wife that you might know if you've spent very much time around her is that she loves musicals. And, you know, there's a few musicals I'm okay with. White Christmas, she came in nodding her head. She's like, yes, I love musicals. Um, But, like, White Christmas, love it. We watch it every year. Um, And that's okay. There's a few others that I can get on board with. But for the most part... I am not a musical kind of person um, as far as the the movie genre goes. And my my gripe that I always tell her is, they're so unrealistic. People do not break out into spontaneous song and dance numbers in real life. Okay, Never once in high school was there a dance battle between two people who were rivaling for cool points and everybody else just joined in and knew all the words. Never happened, okay? But I have to admit that right here in the Christmas story, we have people just breaking out into spontaneous song. 
So I guess musicals are a tiny bit biblical as much as I hate to admit it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at these songs in the order that they show up in our story. And the first one is a song by Jesus' mother, Mary. And it shows up in Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 46 through 55. Um, if you want to get a Bible and follow along, that's awesome. You can use the, one of the Bibles in the pew. If you brought your own, great. You can use an app on your phone, or the verses will be on the screen here. Now, the thing is, though, the songs don't start any part of the story. They are a response to something that God is doing or has done. And so you can't just start reading the song or it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to read a little bit beforehand. Luke chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 26 and read a good chunk down through verse 38. Here's what it says in Luke 1, 26 through 38. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a, a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Remember that Jesse's stump thing we read earlier? That's the line of David. Um, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to greet her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So she's like, what is happening? I've never seen an angel before. This is a new experience for her as it would be for all of us. And so she's trying to figure out, is this a good visit or a bad visit? Because one thing we know is even though his words were nice, greetings, oh favored one, right? They're nice greeting. Every time people see angels in the Bible, the first response is to hit the ground in fear. So She's hearing good words, but the angel thing, the holiness of an angel is scary. So she's trying to figure out what's going on. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And, in the, and, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, behold. Now this is something God typically says to people. like, Behold, check this out. Pay attention. Okay, but she's saying it back to the, God's messenger, the angel. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed her. So this notion that there was going to be like a, a savior, this long-awaited promised savior that would come and save Israel and lead Israel was something that the Jewish people had figured out from scriptures for hundreds of years. So this was something they had taught. This was something they were looking for, something they were waiting for. Um, this was the uh, anointed one. In uh, Hebrew, it was called the Messiah or Mashiach. I think is how it is. I'm probably wrong about that. I don't have enough phlegm in my throat to get that out the right way it needs to be said. Um, the, the Greek word, though, is Christ. And so um, Messiah or Christ means the same thing. It means anointed one. It means a person who has been chosen by God for this specific 
task of coming into the world and saving the people. And so here's this angel named Gabriel. He tells this young Mary that not only would she be living, like everybody hoped that they would be the generation living when the Messiah came. Not only is she going to be living in that generation, but she's going to be the mother of this Messiah. And that is some serious news to get dropped in your lap. Um, Especially when you consider that it was likely that Mary was somewhere between 12, 13, maybe 16, 17 on the upper end, somewhere between junior high and driver's license. I mean, that's absolutely wild to think about that, okay? For those of you who have had kids that had, you had to hand them the keys for the first time when they got their license and they drove off on their own, like, you were nervous. You were thought, I hope they are smart enough, wise enough, and mature enough to not destroy this car and hurt themselves when they're out, Okay? She's probably younger than that, and she gets handed the most important person who would ever walk the face of the earth. Good luck, Mary. Don't mess up. And so she just gets that bomb kind of dropped in her life. And you look at her, and there's, there's nothing about her that was significant or outwardly impressive that would make her seem like the ideal or prime candidate um, for this. But here she goes. And Not only this, but the angel tells her that she would be pregnant, become pregnant while she was still a virgin. You know, sometimes um, in TV shows and stuff, if there's like any sort of time travel or flashback element, the people in the ancient world are seen as gullible and dumb. They had brains the same size as ours. They were intelligent people. They knew how this stuff worked. And that's why she asked, like, are you sure this isn't a thing that happens to people when they're like me? And so she knows what's going to happen. And so when he says tells her, yeah, God's going to do this, don't worry about it, it's going to be a miracle. She automatically knows she's going to have to convince people in her life, especially her fiancé, that this was God's doing and not some sinful uh, story, that a lie she's trying to use to cover up her sinful behavior. And yet, in the face of this whole like bit of news that gets dropped into her life that's going to upheave the rest of her time on earth, she just says, hey, look at me. I'm the servant of God, and I want it to be exactly as you have said. If this is what God wants, this is what I want. What a beautiful, beautiful, like, response to all this. And um, if you've ever seen, how many of you have seen the Christmas movie, The Santa Claus, with Tim Allen? I I figure most of you have probably glanced at it, right? Um, There's the scene early in the movie where he uh, becomes Santa Claus. He doesn't look like Santa Claus yet, but he's put on the jacket, which is... Makes him contractually obligated to be the new Santa Claus, and he was with his son, and they finished delivering toys uh, that first Christmas, and then they go to the North Pole for the first time. And um, as they're taking off uh, to go to the North Pole, he says, Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. When I wake up, I'm getting a CAT scan. Because he's like, This is ridiculous, and none of this makes sense. Like, if I were in Mary's position and this angel just tells me all this stuff and says, your life's going to be miracles, it's going to be this crazy story that you never thought you'd live in, even though you're a little, uh, little young girl from the middle of nowhere that nobody cares about, I'd be like, you know what, maybe uh, something's wrong up here, you know? I think something's in my brain that's not supposed to be there, that's pushing on stuff, making me see and hear things that I'm not supposed to see and hear. I would be concerned, and yet she just is so open and so full of faith that she wants God's plans to be carried out. And so as soon as she finds all this out, she wants to go celebrate with somebody. And she knows that there's one person who's going to understand all this. The angel told her that her relative, Elizabeth, who was a a much older woman, she was much past the years of having children, and God was going to bless her. She was going to be the mother of John the Baptizer, or John the Baptist, you might know him under that name. And so rather than trying to convince all the people in her life 
of this miracle. She's going to just go to somebody who already understands it so that she can be excited and celebrate this message of God's blessing in her life. And so she runs off to be with her her relative. Relative in the original language is a generic term. We don't know if that means cousin, like second cousin. We don't know. um, But extended families were a lot closer then than they typically are now. So it was somebody that she knew. And so she goes to Elizabeth's house And when she walks into Elizabeth's house, baby John, who's six months along in Elizabeth's tummy, starts doing like some gymnastics. And so Elizabeth's like, something special has happened here. And Mary tells her what's going on. And then Elizabeth says, you are blessed. And so Mary then bursts out in a song. And so here's what Mary says. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And again, you get a, a better glimpse, more of a glimpse of just how all in Mary is and how deeply full of faith she is for what God is doing in her life. And so as Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the one who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. And he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the humble, those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So Mary's whole little song here is about God's incomparable greatness. Every line throughout this entire song is praising God for how awesome he is. Despite all the unknowns, despite the unpleasantness that comes along with being put in this situation, Mary still sees God as good. And she starts off by just kind of saying that she feels privileged and honored. She's like, I'm a servant, I'm humble, I'm meek, and yet God has done this great thing in me. He's taking care of me. Um, And she understands that she's kind of a nobody. Like, again, she wasn't doing great things. She was just a young girl trying to faithfully follow her God and live her life in the middle of nowhere, absolute nowhere. And so um, outside of being the mother of Jesus we probably wouldn't know who she is. She never did things that were altogether amazing and worthy of the history books. Um, One thing we can tell just from reading this is that she was a very faithful um, lover of Scripture. She loved the the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. Um, All throughout this little song, and it's hard to catch, I'm, you, think, you might think, oh, he, of course he's a preacher. He caught every one of these Old Testament references. No, I have Bible software that I just have to like click on a letter and it shows me what all these references are. So don't feel like I'm all way ahead of you or anything. Um, but what she's doing the whole way through is she is echoing a lot of Old Testament thoughts and promises. Uh, she goes from Psalms uh, to Daniel to Job to Isaiah to Zephaniah, a book I'm sure you're very familiar with. Um, and the whole thing resembles a song sung by a, a young woman named Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Um, and again, but as she's doing all this, we see her faith. But again, from the outside, she doesn't look like anything spectacular. But She goes on to sing as if God has done this huge favor for her. She says, from now on, all generations are going to call me blessed, which is absolutely true. We, and again, we have nativity scenes that we put up in our houses, right? And who's always there? Mary. 
Like we have um, one that's just like a kind of a one-piece little sculpture. It doesn't have all the side figures, but it's got um, Joseph, Mary, little baby Jesus, and, and kind of an angel overseeing it all. But even in that like pared-down version of the story, Mary's there. Like she's a main player in the story, and, and we've known it for 2,000 years. Like that's, a, that's incredible that the whole world has talked about her. I mean, she's more famous than most famous people could ever hope to be. And so she says, everyone's going to call me blessed. And she was right about that. But the people in her life, they were gonna, not going to call her blessed. Like the people that she's going to try to have to convince that she had this sighting and that this miracle's from God, she's going to have to like convince them, and they are not going to call her blessed. She's from a, a culture where if you were a young woman who was engaged to another man and you mysteriously turned up pregnant, not by that guy, they, would, they could stone you to death, which is where you throw stones and, at somebody until they are dead. Like that, That's the world she grew up in, very, very conservative, very, uh, I mean, everything was typically marriages and betrothals were, had a very specific order that things were supposed to follow, and here she shows up and everything's all out of order and all out of whack, and so they would not call her blessed, they would call her a liar. Uh, if she really stuck to her guns, they'd probably call her crazy, and I'm sure a lot of people would call her many uh, things that were much more mean than those. And yet, she sees that despite the fact that her life is going to get a lot harder probably in the short term, it's, uh, she's blessed. She says, even though that's going to be hard, even though there's going to be pain, I'm blessed by what God has done through me. So how can she sing this amazingly hopeful, over-the-top praise song? How can she sing that knowing that life for her is going to be rough for a while? How can she possibly do that? I mean... It's very likely that she would be disowned by her family. It's likely that her friends would never talk to her again. It's likely that the people in her community that she respected, uh, the rabbis that, that were in her synagogue that she looked up to, they would scoff at her and spit at her and give her no attention from this point on. So how could she see all of, in, in the middle of all this immediate rough stuff that's going to happen in her life, how can she look up and say, God is has blessed me. He's taken care of me. This is an honor and a privilege. Well, I think Mary was able to stand back from the, the immediate and see God's greater plan unfolding. You'll notice at the end of her song, she talks about how um, God is blessing Israel and how he's um, fulfilling this promise that he made to Abraham all these centuries ago. In Genesis chapter 12, like at the almost beginning story of Scripture, God makes a promise to this man, Abraham, that he would give him a family, a big family, which would turn into the people of Israel. He'd give them a land, which was the land of Israel, and that through Abraham's family tree, through the Jewish people, through the Israelites, he would bless the entire world. That blessing is Jesus. And Mary is seeing that she's going to be this fulfillment of this centuries-long promise that has been hanging over, riding over human history from the very beginning. And so she sees that God is doing something absolutely amazing. And so she knows what this baby means for the world. She knows the salvation and hope and forgiveness and restoration that was at that very moment, sitting within her womb, she knew all of what God was about to do. And it was absolutely beautiful and amazing. But again, I don't know about you. I almost have zero foresight in my life when life is hard. 
I have almost zero ability to look beyond my pain and think, maybe God is using this pain. Maybe God is doing something through this pain. Maybe God's growing me. I just can't see it. When I'm in pain of any kind, all I can think is, ow, I'm in pain. God, make it stop. That's as far as I can see. I can't see beyond the hurt of it all. And, and it's so, at times, overwhelming. And I know I'm not alone here because we're creatures of the moment. We're creatures who, who want pleasure now and pain to go away now. We love a good quick fix for all this stuff. And yet, we have this inability to see beyond the pain. That Again, maybe God's working in some way. We don't have that perspective at all. All, we are much more likely when pain comes to kind of shake our fist at the sky. God, how dare you do this to me? How dare you even allow pain in my life? God, what is wrong with you? You're supposed to let everything be happy and easy and, and carefree from the beginning you come into my life. How dare you even allow me to have pain in my life? And yet Mary is able to see that, yes, there's hardship that's going to come with this whole thing, that on the other side of that, God is going to do amazing things. He's going to use her son to bring hope and justice and mercy and salvation to the entire world. Now, if you are a Christian, you have to learn, like Mary, this ability to look beyond the moment of pain, the moment of hurt. If you don't ever learn that skill, life is going to overwhelm you. Every, every pain, every tragedy will beat you down. Every disappointment will make you fall apart. Because they, those things happen. There's never a time in the Bible where it promises that this life won't have these moments and that pain won't come into it. In fact, there's even a lot of stories like this one where it says God, for specific purposes, sends those things into our lives or at least allows us to go through those things. These things will happen. And if we can't look past the moment and see the beauty of what God has in store beyond this, and the pain is a temporary thing, we aren't going to fare very well in this life, especially in our faith. And yet, as Mary so beautifully models, it is not that God has become untrustworthy in those moments, which is what we tend to think, how dare you, you've abandoned me, or you're cruel and punishing me. It's not that God has become unfaithful in those moments, or that he's failed us, or that he's cursed us. But the, the, the difference was whether or not we can see past the moment of pain that we are enduring, and at least see the possibility of later. Uh, because I don't know if you've realized this, hopefully you have, but our entire faith is based on a past event that leads to a future promise. So we are kind of, at the same time, looking back at the death and resurrection of Jesus and looking forward at the future promise that one day Jesus is going to return and he's going to ultimately restore all things. He's going to recreate the world to be a place without heartache or tragedy, a place where there uh, is no pain at all entering into where everything is perfect and peaceful and wonderful. And so if we can't see the fact that Jesus is coming to bring us a life of unending joy, then that's a, that's a big problem that we have as Christians because our whole faith is, again, a past event that brings a future promise. Um, and our eyes have to be fixed on that promise because when heartache and tragedy come, it gives us something to latch on to. It gives us something stable to hold on to when the world is trying to shake us and, and move us all about and everything feels uncertain and uneven. Um, my, my grandma, Bliss, was awesome. I'm, one of my greatest like, sadnesses in my life is that my kids will never meet my grandma and grandpa, Bliss, 
because they were both such cool people. Um, my grandma grew up in Oklahoma during the Dust Bowl. If you don't, if you know what the Dust Bowl is, um, it was basically like it almost looked like an apocalyptic tragedy in the middle of Oklahoma, and and. There was nothing would grow. There was no way to work or sustain yourself. And so their family moved to Illinois when they were, were young. And um, she ended up meeting my grandpa, and they got married. And they had this awesome little life in Barnhill, Illinois. Uh, my grandpa was an oil field worker, and my grandma was a homemaker. And she was just a sweet, wonderful, fun person. She could cook food so good that it would make you hit your knees and praise God for giving someone such a gift. Um, I still miss her chicken and noodles on Christmas. That was like, they were so good. Um, she, they were always ready. I, don't, I never saw her making them. They just were ready no matter what time we showed up at her house on Christmas morning. Um, but one thing that always stuck out to me was how funny they, my grandma and grandpa were. Like, they loved pulling pranks on people and just being silly. Um, and, like, um, the first person who ever taught me how to pull a prank was my grandma. I don't even remember why. I, we, I went down to her house, and she was like, hey, this is, we're going to do something to your parents. And um, we, she's like, we baked muffins, and we put cotton balls in the middle. So she filled the muffin half up, put a cotton ball, and then filled it back up. And she's like, when your parents come to pick you up, you're going to be excited about these muffins, and they're going to eat them. And I was like, okay, sounds great. And like, she just brought me along for the ride and showed me how to prank people. Like, so she was a super fun lady. But later in her life, she came down with dementia that became very, very severe. And just, you know, how it is. Slowly, 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 it takes away um, her personality and who she used to be and her memories. Um, And she ended up living the last few years of her life, or close to the last few years of her life with my parents and myself. Uh, I think she was living with us for about three years. And so you get kind of a front row seat of, of how things are kind of falling apart. And that was after my grandpa passed. And there were some days where it was just pitiful, because she, again, she was this very strong, independent person who could do anything. You know, she grew up in the Dust Bowl. Like, she wasn't weak or wimpy. She, like, could do stuff. And, and yet there'd be these moments where she would be so lost, so confused, because she would be in a strange place that she'd been in hundreds of times, around strangers that she raised from birth. And it was so disorienting to see her that way at times. Um, there were moments where she'd have these, like, crystal clarity and almost seemed like her old self again that would shine through. Her brain would give her this little gift. And um, then there were other times where she would say the funniest stuff that you were like, oh boy, she would not be okay with saying that if she was in her right mind. Um, I never heard my grandma cuss until after she had dementia. And I heard my grandma say a lot of things after she had dementia. (laughs) A lot. And so, um, but she'd be in these situations. And, And what kept us going though was knowing that there was this future promise of hope in Jesus, that this life was not all there is, and that this life was not the best there is, and that this life has things that can be awful and terrible and tragic, but that there is hope beyond these moments. And that's why I asked to do her funeral. Uh, I hadn't been preaching too terribly long when she passed away, um, but I wanted people to get that perspective. I wanted them to see the goodness of God even in the midst of that, because if you, could, if you just looked at what my grandma was going through in the moment, there's no hope in that. There's no hope in watching someone slowly waste away and, and um, their mind kind of disintegrate while their body is still healthy. Um, there's no hope there. Um, and things had gotten so bad at the point when she passed away, there was no loss for her and there was no loss for us. She had long lost the ability to know who we were. Um, and she was gone long before her body knew enough to stop breathing. Um, and so for her, if you, if you were looking at the truth, 
you could see that for Lona Bliss, death only brought gain. If you could see past the tragedy of the moment, you could see the promised future of Jesus at work. But if we aren't able to do that, we're going to struggle. If we can't, as believers, look past the pain and see the future promise of God at work, we are going to have a hard time. But we have got to learn that that God is always good. He's at work. He's doing bigger things than we can even see. And if we can't get past the moment we're in, it's going to be a struggle for us. It requires that we see beyond the moment to the future that God has promised. And so for believers, we live with this hope every single day. A hope that can't be touched, a hope that can't be taken by anything this world throws at it, no matter how bad. We have been given the promise that one day Jesus will return to redeem all of creation, to remove every effect of sin, to recreate the world to be a place without sadness or death or loss or sickness of any kind. And so Jesus died to free us from sin. Jesus died so that we could enter this new creation. And he rose from death to show us what this new creation had in store. That even death itself could not stop him from rescuing us. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, this is the amazing future that awaits for you. And so when life deals out excruciating moments, seasons of anguish deeper than anything you ever thought you'd know, and when the pain tries to take all of your attention and make you not be able to look past that moment of, ow, ow, this hurts, we have hope. We have something to pull our heads up and look forward to. This moment when, when Jesus wipes all the pain and tears away. And so like Mary, we have got to learn to never let the pain of your present make you forget the hope of your future. Never let the pain of your present make you forget the hope of your future. And there will be times when that pain will, will try to steal all of your attention, but we cannot let it. Because the promise of Jesus isn't that he'll make this life happy. That's never been it. It's that he's rescuing us out of this life into a realm of eternal happiness. So the first song in the Christmas story is the song of Mary, and it's one of praise and joy, not of the moment. It's a song of praise and joy for the amazing future that Jesus has given to all who put faith in him. Let's pray. Father, we are so, so incredibly grateful for this song that Mary sang, this little bit of poetry that, that she probably wrote on the way to Elizabeth's house as she was excited about the, the work that you were doing in her life. We know that she understood what being pregnant as a young woman in that culture meant. We know that some people didn't believe her story. We know that people probably were mean to her because of it. And yet she showed remarkable trust in you all the way through. And I pray that like Mary, we would have the ability to look up and see the future promise that we have in Jesus, that Mary was able to trust that what God was doing in her was more important than the pain she would experience in that moment and that it was worth enduring because of the hope that God was growing inside of her that would change the world. So let us be people of hope, even in dark moments. Let us be people who have the ability to lift our head out of a season of pain and praise you for the future promise that cannot be touched by that moment of pain because you're so good in all things. And I just pray, Father, that we would trust you and that we would not shake our fists at you in pain, but we would trust you in the midst of it, knowing that you're good, good enough to use pain, good enough to work through pain, good enough to erase pain altogether one day. So let us not let the moment take our eyes off the future that you've promised us through Jesus. And let us be people of hope in the Christmas season. It's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray, amen.